Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello, and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hi, guys. Dr. Santosh here, your pediatric infectious disease doc and researcher, reporting to you from beautiful Iowa. How's that working out for you? It's kind of nice. It's super, super quiet, and um, I'm, I'm looking at corn right now. I, I wasn't going to say it. There's corn right outside my window. <laughs> I mean, I can't. Yeah, there's there's corn right outside my window, though. <laughs> oh, I I just want to know if you're keeping your ear to the ground for any corn news. Ah, shucks. <laughs> <laughs> for those of our audience who cares, um, I hope you do. Uh, we don't do a lot of like super personal stuff on our podcast, but my little brother just got married, and he didn't get married here. He got married over in Cheese Country. Wisconsin. Um, so we went to Milwaukee. But then after that, I was like, I need a week just to kind of chill because Indian weddings are a lot of work and so horrible sometimes in terms of just workload. And you feel more exhausted um, than when you started. So I took a week off just with my girls and stayed here in my parents' wonderful home. Yeah, so given that you have been traveling and I have recently begun a new job, we've had to put up a couple TMP classics, but we should be getting back into the swing of things pretty soon. Yeah, thanks for thanks for putting up with us, guys. You guys have been really sweet. This week, 
we are going to talk about something that I've actually been meaning to talk about for a lot of this season. Um, yeah. We've heard a lot in the news. Well, not recently because there's been other issues, but we were hearing a lot about coal miners and coal country and dying coal jobs. Yeah, it was the strangest thing. You know, um, we hadn't talked about coal for a very long time. Uh, we had a different administration in place and we were working towards clean power. Um, several small countries in Europe had already become like kind of leaders in non-fossil fuel tech. And then we turn around, we're like, ah, the coal miners, what are we going to do? And people were all like, uh, I thought we were phasing out coal forever, <laughs> like very soon. And evidently we were wrong, kind of, or I don't know how to put it. Coal jobs aren't coming back, but awareness of it is. And with that is coal loan, which I first learned about from Zoolander. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that was that was actually that was the one of the most recent movies that has brought up anything about coal mining. I holy crap, you're right. I got the black lung, Pa. <laughs> 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 that little cough I don't know anyone who can replicate that cough it is insane so this week we're going to talk a little bit about black lung as well as what is involved in mining now I am no mining expert unless you're talking about Minecraft and even then <laughs> I got the Minecraft lung pa. <laughs> I got the Minecraft thumbs pop. <laughs> but that's, by the way, that's another occupational disease which we should cover sometime called Nintendum. Ah, uh, yes. Nintendums. Mm-hmm. Well, the recognition of respiratory problems from breathing in dust, which is the main issue with coal dates all the way back to ancient Greeks and Romans. Agricola, who was a historian and also a fantastic board game. Give it a try. Okay. Uh, Agricola in the mid-16th century wrote about lung problems from dust inhalation in miners. In the 1700s, Bernardo Ramazzini, whose name I only bring up because it is fun to say, Bernardino Ramazzini. <laughs> noted a lot of asthmatic symptoms and sand-like substances in the lungs of stonecutters. And those were kind of the major early on ones. But as we went to the Industrial Revolution in Victorian times, as opposed to hand tools, we got increased production of dust and therefore increased respiratory problems associated with dust inhalation. So when we're talking about black lung, It's a common term, actually, for about several respiratory diseases, not just one, but all of those diseases share a single cause, breathing in coal mine dust. And in the last couple of years, black lung has rebounded in central Appalachia, which is where coal is still king. Now, for those of you who have no clue where Appalachia is, you just hear it on the news. It's Kentucky, Virginia, and West Virginia. Yeah, and specifically the slightly more mountainous areas of those states 
Um, because, for instance, if you get to the coastal region, you have a slightly different culture, um, and you don't see coal miners out there. Yeah. Now, the disease is most commonly found among miners of what's known as hard coal, but it also occurs in soft coal miners and graphite workers. Now, I know what you're thinking. What the heck is hard coal versus soft coal? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I, I was confused by this too. Uh, you know, I thought, you know, coal was coal. You get a bunch of carbon and you compress it over time and you come up with a, you know, a rock that you can burn and get heat and light out of. But evidently the, um, I guess the composition of the coal does affect what it can be used for and whether it's worth mining or not, and also how uh, easily it can be inhaled and what causes problems into our wonderful men and women who risk their lives to bring us this kind of precious material. Yeah, this actually was fascinating to me. I learned so much about coal and coal mining researching this episode, enough to know that I never want to do it. But Yeah, and in fact, I think we'll come around to this, Josh. I think it's okay for us to feel that nobody should do this. And it would be wonderful if we could actually get different jobs for all these wonderful men and women so that they could be productive in modern society and not have to go into a big hole and inhale, you know, tons and tons of stuff into their lungs that could kill them. Yeah. So let me give you guys a little bit of information about coal. Let me shovel this info <laughs> to you. And your minds can burn it up as, oh, my pun game is off. I've taken too many weeks doing research. Oh, no, it's totally okay. You, uh, you go ahead and, you know, cart a bunch of information at us. And as I find little deposits, I'll pick your brain. Or, uh, or at yeah, least going in yeah. the same vein. <laughs> there we go. He's back. So hard coal is called anthracite. And... It's called hard because it contains more fixed carbon, which is about 86% or greater than any other kind of coal. Anthracite is the least plentiful form of coal, the longest burning, and found mostly in the eastern part of the United States, you know, Appalachia. It makes up less than 2% of all the coal reserves in the country. The other kind of coal, known as soft coal or bituminous coal, is far more abundant, and it burns in between sub-bituminous and anthracite. And in Britain, bituminous coal is commonly called steam coal. So that's what would have been powering, you know, like the, I don't know, the Mark Twain riverboats and the steamships oh, yeah. and all of those. Your, your favorite era, Josh, you know, the Victorian. Yes. Where you had steel and iron and steam. <laughs> so by the late 1900s, black lung had actually reached an all-time low with only 31 cases of the worst form of the disease reported from 1990 to 1999. So most experts considered black lung almost obsolete. That's a huge improvement from age of steam and coal all the way to the end of... Uh, well, that, but that would have been what around the okay. So by the end of Bush the Younger's presidency, black lung was almost obsolete. The first signs of a rebound in these diagnoses came up in the early 2000s, and this wasn't your typical run of the mill case. 
instead of a very slow, gradual, insidious process, miners were getting their lungs scarred up far, far more quickly with a lot of them developing into the worst form of the disease, progressive massive fibrosis or pulmonary uh, PMF characterized by large masses of scar tissue and nodules. So this is a real change because usually old timey miners, you know, like minor 49ers had longer lifespans because they'd be working in these mines for years with pickaxes and burrows and little canaries because that's how I picture them. (laughs) Well, the canary would go in before the coal miner. With a little pickaxe and helmet with a lamp on it as well. (laughs) Yes, yes, that's exactly what the canary did. It was a... It it would test the ore. What the hell? (laughs) Well... Onset of the disease is very gradual. Symptoms usually would only appear after 10 to 20 years of exposure to coal dust, and the extent of the disease would be very clearly related to the total dust exposure. So if you were in and out of those mines every day, 10 years. If you were just going in, I don't know, as a weekend miner, it might take 20. But it's not clear whether the coal itself was responsible, as there's a lot of contaminants in coal dust, like silica, uh, limestone, other things, yeah. but we'll do we'll do a, a mini list, and after after the uh, we talk about coal mining specifically. Now, coal workers' pneumoconiosis, which is the formal name for black lung, the severe state develops after an initial milder form. The initial form of the disease is known as anthracosis, named after anthracite which is that coal we talked about earlier. The mild form of the disease, anthracosis, is often asymptomatic. And at least to some extent, everybody living in an urban or city setting has a very slight form of this just due to air pollution. Um, L.A. smog or, you know, anywhere that you have a lot of industry and steam and those kinds of things. We're all going to have just very tiny amounts of anthracosis which right. from these so, black you know, dots. If you're in a big city, uh, pretty decent chances, I say, that you have some degree of anthropocytes from just inhaling pollution, um, which is probably why a lot of kids that we deal with, you get a spike in like asthma or um, reactive airway type diseases with the little kids running around in the big city especially before L.A. cleaned up its act. So prolonged exposure to large amounts of coal dust is what starts to result in more serious forms of the disease. So you don't have to rush out of the cities just yet. Initially, workers exposed to this dust would develop industrial bronchitis, which sounds a lot worse than it is. It's clinically defined as chronic bronchitis, which means a productive cough for three months per year for at least two years. So chronic bronchitis associated with workplace exposure. That's industrial bronchitis. It's not like, you know, you're rolling out a whole bunch of snot contaminated with coal. To put this into perspective, a miner who has spent 25 years in underground coal mines has only a 5 to 10% risk of contracting the disease, or at least of the original form. That's why the (laughs) Zoolander joke was just so outlandish. I think he took like a half a day shift, didn't he, before he got his weird little cough? Here's where I started to have a lot of questions, because I honestly had no clue what's involved in mining. Like, everything I knew about mining is in that exact same Zoolander scene that we've referenced a bunch. 
I had to dig into this and I wanted to know how do you actually get black lung? I know it's from breathing in coal dust, but how does that happen in mining? Like, are you just taking facefuls? So there's two kinds of, well, there's a bunch of kinds of mining, but the ones I'm going to talk about, there's surface mining, which includes strip mining, open pit mining, and mountaintop removal mining. That sounds badass. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not, uh, absolutely. Uh, oh, it's yeah, terrible for the environment, I, I'm not, but I'm not, like, what, uh, what do you absolutely. do? Me? I remove uh, mountaintops. Yeah, 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 yeah. If Mohammed can't come to the mountain, then the mountain was going to get itself removed. <laughs> oh yeah, Eid Mubarak. <laughs> Uh, that's not how it is in the Quran. <laughs> so surface mining in general, which that's includes all, all of those it. ones I just talked about, is a broad category of mining in which all the soil and rock that overlies the good stuff that you want to get to is removed. Like you take the Tonka toys and just scoop all the unnecessary dirt out of the way until you dig down to what you want. That's in contrast to underground mining, in which the overlying rock is left in place and the minerals removed through shafts or tunnels. Oh, that's so. That's the one we see with coal carts and mining. Yeah, that's the ducktails mining underground. Mines. Yes, yeah, all of my mining good. knowledge is informed by television. All of my knowledge might be informed by television. So, surface mining began in the mid 16th century, although the majority of it now occurs in North America. And surface mines produce most of the coal mined in the United States. So that was just a fun little bit. So, if, you know, that's why it's mountaintop removal. You get in and you dig your way down and you're like, scoop all the frosting off and get the juicy minerals underneath. Wow. This kind of mining's actually more dangerous in terms of respiratory disease. But one last thing before we start talking about the diseases itself, let's talk about a little bit of regulation and safety or how the miners were protected. Uh, before, you know, we started seeing uh, the spike in cases. <laughs> okay, yes, they weren't. Back in 1969, the Federal Coal Mine Health and Safety Act required two annual inspections of every surface mine and four annual inspections of every underground mine and fines for all violations. So safety standards were established, health standards were adopted, and the Coal Act included specific procedures for the development of improved mandatory health and safety standards, including compensation for miners who were permanently disabled by the black lung. This is actually where OSHA, the Office of Safety mm -hmm. and Health Administration, or Occupational Safe and Healthy Administration, got yeah, its start was in coal mining. You know, I'm, I'm hearing, I, I can almost hear our listeners grinding their teeth, a lot of them who are in healthcare. Because when you hear OSHA or ASHA and you hear OSHA inspection coming up, you immediately clench up. <laughs> you think of a word that sounds yeah. very similar to OSHA, but ends in a consonant that makes it a true. curse. And the reason for this is <laughs> the only thing you think of, oh my God, this is going to be a horrible inconvenience and we have to stop what we're doing and they're going to come through and they're going to scrutinize every stupid thing. And, you know, but honestly, you know, if not for organizations like this one, um, people would have died. Lots of people would have died. And one of the things this established was the Black Lung Disability Trust, which mining companies agreed by which after working in mines for 10 years, along with evidence on x-ray, 
or less impressively on autopsy of severe lung damage, people were guaranteed compensation. Them and their families were guaranteed compensation as a result of mining injuries. Equally important, they had a rate retention clause that allowed any workers who had progressive lung disease to transfer to jobs with lower exposure to coal dust without suffering any loss of pay, seniority, or benefits. This was all financed by a federal tax on coal. And in as of 2009, they've given out over $44 billion in benefits to minors disabled by yeah, the disease. And this is one of the first indications of how scary this occupation is, right? I mean, it's so bad. And, you know, you're, you're risking so much to go in here that there has to be this type of protection because in a lot of cases, you're the only one bringing in income to your family. And if you're not able to bring in that income, you know, by working, then your family shouldn't have to suffer. But that was happening so often <laughs> that we needed a trust in order to, you know, cover these men and women's health along with their family's well-being. So I think it was a wonderful thing that was done, but it is a literal figurative canary in the coal mine to show how dangerous this occupation is. Yeah, so after this Coal Act of 1969 became law in the United States, the percentage of American miners suffering from black lung disease decreased by about 90%. That's what brought us to... You know, 4% of miners having it in late yeah, 1990. That's absolutely amazing. So just a few changes for safety, you know, making sure that uh, that the coal miners were, were getting adequate ventilation, this kind of a thing. And, you know, you take a fatal disease and you drop it down to the basement. That's awesome. Yeah, so ways that the Mine Safety and Health Administration would hold companies accountable, they would have to remove dust from the mines, such as, as you said, venting the tunnels, partitioning sections with those big plastic curtains so you're not tracking dust, uh, carrying it with you in a little cloud like pig pen from peanuts, or tamping down dust with streams of water that prevents dust clouds from coming up in the wake of right. large machinery, certainly also providing face masks by another favorite medical group, the NIOSH, National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health. They make our tuberculosis masks. There you go. Uh, Gotta love them, man. However, as of 2005-2006, up to 9% of miners with 25 years or more of experience began testing positive for black lung. So we were seeing an increase, and that may have been because they are working without the safety net of unionization which help protects workers from unsafe conditions. And miners at non-union mines usually don't report safety violations because they're worried about losing their job. And that may be the only access to employment they have. They're more likely to put up with excessive dust because it doesn't threaten them. And, you know, you don't realize that you're breathing in dust. It's not like they're getting horrible knife blades. You're just like, ah, oh, you know, cough, cough, sneeze, sneeze, rub my eyes, done. So it's, it's very difficult for miners to complain about excessive dust than other safety and health issues. You know, you have a lot of sympathy for the guy who's like, ah, my arm was crushed by a giant load of ore, as opposed to, eh, eh, I got the oh black lung, pa. Could we stop making fun of people who actually have black lung? This is the silent nature of this particular disease. So the dust particles are very, very fine. They're, they're super tiny. Um, those 
normal defenses that we have earlier on, like the cilia that line your trachea and your bronchi and, you know, those other macrophages, mucus, which is in the upper airways, these small particles are sometimes even too small to be detected by those defenses until they, they get all the way to what's called the alveoli, the very end of the airway where gas exchange actually happens. And, you know, here they get trapped and then they start to cause this reactive picture. But you're right, Josh, during that time, there's not a lot of ongoing symptoms until a good amount of damage has been done to the lungs already. Yeah, so that's kind of our history of mining and safety. So let's get into it. So from a pathophysiology standpoint, the hairs in your nose, dust catching mucus in your throat, your body has a lot of safeguards to protect your lungs. But the tiniest dust particles can still slip by these defenses. And the smaller it is, the deeper it goes and the more damage it inflicts. So in order to get into your throat and respiratory system and not be picked up by your defenses, it has to be less than five microns across. So just smaller than a single red blood cell. Yeah, and this dust just does get this small. Now what happens is the dust will may be sharp. You know, it's not like a soft, fuzzy little bubble. It's a tiny little jagged edge, too small to see. So it dodges left and then right and over through all the hairs, kind of taking an incredible journey through your body. And then it may hit an area in the lungs and just cause a tiny little scratch initially. But as the lungs work to repair themselves, they form scar tissue over these little scratches. And if you have a lot of them and they keep building up, you get first scar tissue, then you get nodules or calluses. And over time, the coal dust, which is black, will start to coat these nodules or calluses, and it then turns the lungs black as coal, hence the name. You see this progress kind of slowly if you were to take a biopsy of the lung, right? So initially, say on x-ray or something like that, you're not going to see anything really. Um, you may see the occasional macrophage, uh, you know, the, the eating cell, the white cell that eats stuff, um, actually surround one of these particles, you know, and, and I'd be consuming it. But other than that, you won't see a ton. And then slowly, the lung will turn more and more black until, like on autopsy, it looks just like a big charred piece of steak. The way most of the time we expel things that get into our lungs is by coughing or sneezing. But if something's worked its way that far down into the lungs, it can neither be destroyed nor removed by the body. What we have to rely on is it ends up getting engulfed. And here's where we go down to like a micro level where you have macrophages. But they look really, really big on the microscope. These macrophages will then eat up the coal dust and then they hang out in the lungs. You know, like, hey, guys, let's all go down to the lung bar and eat some coal and then just never leave. <laughs> and the problem with this part right here is that the macrophage is kind of designed, uh, that's not a good word, it's been evolved to eat up and destroy things like bacteria. It's not very good at breaking down a solid particle of carbon like coal or a rock. Yeah, and... It releases all of these chemicals that it uses to break things down. Uh, and those chemicals, 
such as enzymes, cytokines, free radicals, and fibroblasts are create more inflammation and scar up the lungs even further. So you get inflammation. That's when you kind of start developing asthma or, well, initially a cough, that bronchitis we talked about, or asthma or chronic obstructive lung disease. And if it forms enough of these nodular lesions, the little nodules can collapse in on themselves and they can become necrotic. And then you can get large cavities in the lung. Right. So actually the particle itself, you know, the actual little piece of dust, is not causing, you know, the, the majority of the destruction. It's our immune system's reaction to the presence of the dust particle. Because our immune system, starting with the macrophage, gets confused, you know, and says, hey, you know, this thing really shouldn't be here. You know, we should break this thing up or at least try to break this thing up and secrete a bunch of stuff that I would usually use to destroy a foreign invader. Um, but it can't really break down that little dust particle. What ends up happening is collateral damage. The tissues, your own tissues, which are surrounding this ingested particle, actually are the ones that get torn up. And then the healing process, right, Josh? So when the lung tries to heal from this, you know, inflammatory process, the acute inflammatory process and the chronic inflammatory process, the healing, instead of healing up like a normal lung and rebuilding the tissue, you get scar tissue, just like you do on your skin. And scar tissue is pretty crappy at performing the job of a lung. The symptoms we've talked about a lot. You get bouts of coughing, and the longer you've had this, you'll start producing these kind of very dark, black, mucousy, inky phlegm, right? It's, it's dark snot. In fact, in 1881, one doctor chose to use a very striking example of this by dipping his pen into the jet black fluid that one of his patients had coughed up to write a note for a medical conference. And he gave a whole presentation, just like we're doing now, on black lung and said, the sentence I am reading was written with this fluid. The pen used has never been in ink. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty illustrative, yeah. Basically, all those little particles are coming up in phlegm and mixing with that mucus, and it's creating inky tar. Now, you'll also see, again, you get an idea of this, is if you go to a very heavily polluted area, um, there's three basic criteria to diagnose coal workers' pneumoconiosis. The first thing you need is an x-ray. You need a chest radiograph that's consistent with black lung. And that's going to show you, again, you're not going to see these, well, it's not going to be black because an x-ray is black and white, but you're going to be looking for nodules or areas near the top of the lung that have these little lung cavities or what we call focal emphysema. The second thing is you need, obviously, an exposure history to coal dust, usually underground coal mining, but also surface mining of sufficient amount and latency. Remember, we said it takes about 10 to 20 years. So you can't just have started working and file these OSHA claims. You need to have been working in the coal mines going down, down, down for at least five to 10 years. Sure. It, it does take a while for this process to kind of get going along. Um, but 
the sad part is once you've kind of tipped and you're you're kind of going into pneumoconiosis the process is a bit difficult to stop and i think josh you're about to tell us that kind of from this point even if you get out of the coal mine um it's pretty hard to reverse what's going on yeah um and as you mentioned, it's indistinguishable from silicosis and a few other diseases. So the third part of diagnosis is a diagnosis of exclusion. You have to rule out all the other stuff before you call it black lung. So yeah. once you have it, there's very few treatments available. Prevention is really the only way to save people. You can do a lung transplant and then stop going into the mine, but that's not a practical solution for everyone. So inhalers can help treat the symptoms of black lung, broadening your bronchioles and giving you a little bit more room to breathe and work with. Uh, Oxygen, supplemental oxygen can help the miners breathe. But other than transplants, there's no long-term solutions. And a recent study even suggested that a transplant on average only gives you about an extra three to three and a half years more of life, which to be fair is nothing to sneeze at, but you think with a brand new set of lungs, you would hope to get more than a couple years. Right. The problem is you're balancing out a disease which is kind of progressive and destructive versus, you know, putting in a new set of organs with all the risk of graft versus host disease and rejection that you have to contend with, along with the added infection risk because now you're on immunosuppressive drugs. So it's a bit of a lose-lose situation. Um, the best way to do this is don't get coal in your lungs in the first place. Yeah. Now, again, as part of this Coal Miners Act of 1969, and I'm, I know that's a funny date, but I also want to just keep drilling that into you because it's a good trivia knowledge thing. Um, <laughs> it is. And Tell your many miners are off. Well, Federal regulations entitle minors to get free lung examinations every five years. And that's coordinated with a health surveillance program administered through NIOSH. But a lot of minors don't. Some are afraid of losing their jobs. Some are afraid of other forms of company retaliation. And sometimes a minor won't get examined until after he or she retires, by which point it's too late to say, well, you need to get out of the mine or... You need these other treatments. They still get them, but the disease has progressed to a point that's, well, not great. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about, Josh, a few other, you know, kind of silent killers that are chronic like this. Um, so we can think of, for instance, diabetes, type 2 diabetes, where, you know, you don't really have anything symptom-wise going on um, until you know, you hit this threshold and your blood sugar is way too high and potentially even your pancreas is burned out from trying to overproduce insulin. Um, you know, that's a that's a good example of this. And, you know, uh, the other parallel to coal miners' uh, lung, which is a you know, slow progressive disease, doesn't show much until you you actually have bad disease, is actually smoking itself. You know, we, you and I, Josh, probably know a lot of people who smoke, you know, forever with really no problem. And then all of a sudden, they kind of hit a tipping point, right? Um, they start to cough even when they're not smoking and it gets worse and worse. And then even when you take the cigarette away, you know, they're progressing into emphysema. 
Yeah. So, and that's because we have, we learn about a breathing graph where as long as your blood cells can kind of saturate with at least, I think, 90% oxygen, you're doing just fine. And that is irrespective of the amount of lung damage. But once you start getting less than 90%, it's a real steep drop off as to your ability to make use of the oxygen you have. Right. It's kind of like, it's kind of like hitting a continental shelf, right? So you've got no problem, no problem, no problem, you know, and then all of a sudden it goes down 300 feet. So that's kind of the, the what's what and who's who of black lung itself. But as we said, there's a lot of other diseases that present very similarly where you'll get a chronic insidious long-term buildup that leads initially to coughing, increased mucus production, and difficulty breathing, and then progresses to lung tissue scarring, ultimately requiring oxygen and breathing treatments. And it looks a lot like emphysema or asthma, which are our chronic lung diseases. Now, one of these is very closely linked to black lung, and that is silicosis, which is also known as grinder's disease or potter's rot. Um, which is not Harry Potter, but actual yeah. clay <laughs> ceramic makers. Yeah, that, that was actually coined, you know, way back when. That's not recently. Um, yeah, but this is, silica is found essentially in sand, right? Or anytime you're making glass as well. So you've got um, miners as well. If you're um, digging for mole, uh, coal or metal, you're also picking up other fine particles of rock. Um, and some of those are going to be silica. So you can get those um, when you're sand blasting. So uh, using sand on friction material on rails, um, when you're taking that high-powered sand blaster and you're not wearing adequate protection um, over your mouth and nose. Josh, I actually didn't know about this. But we, um, the high rates of silicosis were described actually in Turkish workers using silica to, dan uh, to sandblast denim, so jeans. The United Kingdom actually restricted it in 1949, and the European countries uh, in the 1960s, a bunch of European countries actually just abandoned it. They said, don't do it anymore. We've got way too many people getting hmm. sand lung. If you're in a, yeah. So if you're in a foundry, so that means you're taking uh, metal castings, pouring, uh, you know, molten metal into mold. Those molds generally contain these very, very finely milled quartz sand, which is all silica. And so that can get poofed into the air. You can inhale that if the casting process, you know, if you have someone standing there and the room isn't adequately ventilated or they don't have respiratory protection, aka a mask. And then if you're a mason, so you're producing silica flour, sand, concrete, ceramics, which is where the potter's lung uh, came from. So, uh, you know, we have a bunch of places where silicosis is an occupational Yeah. Habit. Now, some of the things you'll see with silicosis include leg swelling and a blue... Well, you actually see black lung too has a bluish discoloration of the lips, and that's known as cyanosis because your lips are turning cyan, which is a shade of blue because you are not getting enough oxygen. You'll also see some uh, 
carving or spooning of the nail beds. That doesn't mean your nails are cuddling. It means they're becoming larger <laughs> and scooped, almost like a spoon. And these are actually kind of non-specific signs of poor oxygenation, that your lungs are just not working properly. So it can happen with a wide variety of diseases, but we see it a lot in silicosis when it gets really bad and the air exchange gets worse and worse. Now, a fun word, which was invented just for this, Santosh, did you know that one of the longest words in the English language is in fact a type of silicosis? I did know that, but only because it actually showed up. Everybody likes to talk about the longest word in the English language. And I think back when I was growing up, the longest word in the English language that we knew about was anti-disestablishmentarianism. You remember that in like when you were a kid? Yeah, yeah. That was one that you could throw out there to like, wow. Yeah. So that is 28 letters. But the longest word in a major dictionary is 45 letters. And it's pneumo ultra microscopic silico volcanoconiosis, which is a fancy way of saying silicosis or black lung that you get from breathing in volcanic ash, aka Pompeii lung. That's a terrible way to put it. But yeah, we have occupational hazards as well as living hazards for people who are close to, you know, active volcanoes. And actual volcanologists who go to study, you know, volcanoes. And uh, this is a much more acute process um, than normal silicosis, because along with silica dust, um, which can be really, really bad silica dust, by the way, sharp and and kind of uh, irritating dust and can cause horrible fibrosis really quickly. You also have uh, carbon-containing dust like ash that you're breathing in simultaneously. So that can be a very, very rapid acute disease that can kill you very quickly, all the way to a little bit more of a chronic form. Um, if you're not using adequate breathing protection and you decide to, you know, that you're going to make a career out of it. But you know who is volcanic. at risk from some of the same types of lung conditions as volcanic workers and... Uh, coal miners, your local teenager down oh, at the exactly. movie theater. Well, you're talking about... Yeah, I'm talking about popcorn like workers' lung disease or butter flavor in lung. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. That that stuff is actually To be fair, the butter flavoring is bad amounts. for all of you, not just your lungs. Yeah. But it's also delicious. Yeah. <laughs> the emissions in the creation of the butter flavoring. So you're pumping a whole bunch on to your popcorn. All you're getting is high cholesterol and probably some very loose bowel movements. But the people, the chemists who create it, and the people who are around as it's being brewed and cooked all day do have a little bit of airborne dust from the seasonings used to make the butter flavoring and the diacetyl or oil emissions used in this microwave popcorn production. So uh, people who are working long-term at movie theaters brewing popcorn may also experience a little bit of this. Now, again, when I say long-term, we're looking at that same 10 to 20 years. So don't worry, those of you who are, you know, were at AMC or Lamely for like a year or two, you're not going home yeah. with popcorn lung. Like a summer job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're talking about chemists and, and food 
manufacturers who were working with those big, gigantic vats yeah. for years and years and years. Wow. I didn't realize that, that. So, by the way, this isn't just the, the buttered popcorn, you know, diacetyl. So this is any yes, flavoring. But buttered that. popcorn lung sounds much more fun gotcha. than diacetyl lung. Which, for those of you who are in the medical profession and you're studying for your stuff, is different from popcorn lung, which is a term of radiology or pathology, which is how kind of like that bubbly popcorn appearance that lungs take on uh, due to other diseases. In um, fact, popcorn lung, the radiology finding, is part of a disease known right. as bronchiolitis right. obliterans obstructive pulmonary disease, also known as boop. Boop. Your lungs have popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> yep, boop. Right, boop can, by the way, boop uh, can occur from some occupational exposures, but we usually see it with, you know, graft, uh, sorry, Graft versus host disease, chronic graft versus host disease for transplant recipients and these kind of things. So yes, please don't mix up popcorn butter flavor popcorn. Right. So that's why I call it butter flavoring lung, lung instead of popcorn lung. <laughs> okay, let me do some other quick hits because there's so many other occupational exposures. Okay, there is aluminum lung or uh, aluminosis. Um, and this happens uh, when workers are exposed to aluminum-containing dust. Uh, and uh, this is industrial hygiene. All right, so we've got that one. Um, we have siderosis, which is iron lung. And those are occupations like iron and steel rolling, metal polishing, metal sheet working, mining, of course, soldering, steel making, and welding. I found stanosis. I hate that guy. It's not an exposure to stan. It's an exposure to tin. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> no, this is an exposure to tin. So um, there was the process of hearth tinning of iron hollowware. Um, so this is, I found this in a, a case report from 1963. <laughs> stanosis in hearth tinners. There's exposure to tin as well. Uh, chronic beryllium disease. This one is the most interesting to me uh, because my wife is in aerospace and a lot of what beryllium is used for because it's so, so strong um, is in things like shipbuilding and building, you know, things that'll go to other planets. Uh, so you can get that beryllium, that fine beryllium can go and get into dust. So if you're in automotive, ceramics, computer, aerospace, metal reclamation, um, you know, metal and metal alloy machine shops, defense industry, you can get borreliosis. We've talked about asbestosis before, right, Josh? Aside from lung cancer, a type of lung cancer called mesothelioma, asbestos, which is a type of rock, which is really, really fire retardant, can cause asbestosis, which is a lot like the black lung or all the other pneumoconiosis we shared before, gets down into your airway, gets swallowed up by macrophages and causes inflammation and ultimately fibrosis. And then bisinosis, 
called brown lung disease or I've got a case of the Mondays. Uh, (laughs) Monday fever is an occupational disease caused by exposure to cotton dust. So uh, people who would work in yarn and fabric manufacturing industries, um, you'd get, you know, this cotton dust going everywhere and you'd inhale it. Not actually from um, slave workers way back when in, you know, the South, uh, from cotton pickers, because that cotton was actually compact. This wouldn't happen until you're actually like ripping the cotton apart and then weaving it into yarn. And it would uh, turn into dust and get into your lungs. So bisinosis, B-Y-S-S-I-N-O-S-I-S. And I should not sound so excited about Well, take a breath, Santosh, because we've worked our way through a lot of different lung diseases today. But uh, the take-home I want everybody to get is, rather than trying to remember all of these, because you can always wiki them, is just remember, fine particle dust gets past the defenses in your nose, in your trachea, and your upper airway, gets lodged into the little teeny tiny airways and air sacs called alveoli, where they are found by macrophages, the big eaters, white cells that swallow them up, try to destroy them using inflammation. The inflammation destroys the surrounding lung tissue, and the lung tries to heal itself using fibrosis or scarring. And that's why the lungs stop working. And And that concludes uh, this episode on the black lung. But I'm going to throw in a quick just the tip. I am off uh, actually in by the time you are hearing this episode i will be in belize and guatemala but one of the places i'm going to visit is flores island near lake pete and pizza eating pizza and that's not pig latin no no i mean i may be eating pizza in pete and pizza but the town is populated by descendants of the maya and women will be in very traditional colorful blouses called huipiles and they have bright geometric patterns that have clues to like their status and beliefs so like the the fishmonger or the corn grower are going to have differently colored and designed blouses and it has an amazing local street food market known for its desserts and drinks. So that, I'm going to be hiking up a pyramid in Tikal and then visiting snack food. So more to report next time I'm back. So we've got only a few more episodes left in the season, listeners. So thank you so much for bearing with us during the crazy schedule we have in the next few weeks the annual comic book medicine episode is coming up so look forward to that and as always we love to hear your comments questions and feedback if you would like to support us spiritually emotionally or financially links to do that are in the show notes as well as links to all the sources we use this show is produced by me with a lot of help from all our co-hosts Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. And until next time, as always, happy travels. Bye, guys. No, no lollipop.